We want to be like the disciples who actually touched you and kissed you and hugged you and walked with you. We know we can't do that physically right now, but we know we can do it spiritually. So today, Lord, manifest yourself in this place. As we worship you, as we praise you, as we learn of you, be be glorified here today in Freedom Church. Not just this Sunday, but every Sunday and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I mentioned earlier, we got a new audience that comes in now, so um, I wanted to introduce us. We're Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani, and we're glad you're here. We're here every Sunday at 10, 10 a.m., and uh, you can go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, and you can see the, the whole program from beginning on, or if you tune in now, you just get the, uh, the teaching, and, and uh, hopefully you'll be here with and have communion with us now. So um, we're here every Sunday at 10 a.m. We're here on Saturdays for a men's Bible study. Starts at 9 a.m., so come on by. If you're s- online, freedomchurchpb.org, because we're in Palm Beach, Florida, um, you can go online, you can find out what we believe in, you can see our address, you can find out our ministries, you can watch past services, and should the Lord lead you, you could tithe or give offerings to the church and the work that we're doing. Um, so um, that's pretty much it. You know, come on by. We're a, we're a small, uh, full gospel Bible preaching church. We love Jesus here. It's all about him. As a matter of fact, isn't it about the pastors? Isn't it about the deacons? Or it's about Jesus Christ, Him crucified. For those uh, here, you got tithe envelopes in the, po- in the pockets in front of you on the chair. You got Gospels of John. Take them and give them out. And there's bigger Gospels of John, a little bit bigger, don't fit in your pocket on the back table. Um, so, um, you know, feel free to um, give them out. That's what it's there for. Um, I'm going to call the deacons forward. They're going to pass out communion. We are going to do communion today. We will be doing communion next week also because it's Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, as I like to call it. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Good. For those of you that don't know it, you know, this is uh, Passover, and Passover has a significance. Jesus ate, eats the Passover meal with his disciples. In the Old Testament, Passover commemorates the, uh, the Hebrews' deliverance from slavery in Egypt. In the New Testament, Passover has a deeper, more spiritual meaning and more a deeper application that, he w- that, w- that will be fulfilled in his death. In the Old Testament, 
to avoid judgment, the Jews had to take a spotless lamb, apply the blood to the doorposts and the lentils of their homes. They were to remain in their homes until, until morning. As the Lord passed through the land at midnight, he executed judgment on those that did not obey the words of the Lord by putting the blood of the spotless lamb on the doorposts and the lentils of their home. If he saw the blood, he passed over. Now in the New Testament, Jesus provides his blood. It's his blood for us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you notice that Passover, when Jesus celebrated Passovers with the disciples, there was no lamb there. He had bread, he had wine, but there was no lamb for them to eat. But there was a lamb there. It was the real lamb. The real lamb. The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John 1.29 And he passed out the cup or the, the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Relating to that man, lamb that would be, would be slain. Then he said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Drink it. So Christ has become the Passover lamb, sacrificed for us. And as the Lord sees the blood applied to you, to your heart, I like to think, he just passes over. Death passes over you. Because that's what the Lord did when he moved through the land. Anybody that didn't apply the blood, the Lord would enter that house and take the firstborn. Of the animals, of the humans, because they didn't obey. Unfortunately or fortunately, for those of you that don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have not applied the blood of the Lamb to your life. And when it comes time to leave this earth, you will go straight to judgment. But if you applied the blood of the Lamb and believed on Him, the Lord will see the blood and His death will pass over you. We're talking eternal death here. We're not talking physical death. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, For Christ, the Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. How much simpler can it get? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For Christ, the Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. So in a way you could say the disciples did partake of the lamb because he was right there passing out the bread, passing out the wine, that you would know that we were going to do this in remembrance of him. The disciples, they were, they were a little bit upset about that. If you, if you go to John chapter 6 and verse 63, you'll see that after Jesus said, talked about eating his blood and, or drinking his blood and eating his flesh, the disciples are there, how can we do this? That's cannibalism. Ten verses later in John 6, so, sorry, John 6.53, the disciples asked him that question. And John 6.63, where the disciples said, hey, what's, we don't understand this. And Jesus said to them, my words are spiritual and they are truth. It's not physical blood, 
that you're drinking. It's not physical flesh of Jesus you're eating. It is in doing it in remembrance of who he is. When his body was sacrificed, his blood was shed for you. So today, you and I, don't, we deserve judgment for our sins, but when we confess our sins, the Lord, the Savior, he no longer, we no longer then have to be afraid of judgment day because our sins are forgiven and they're washed away. And then you're no longer under judgment. You're under grace and under mercy. On that night that Jesus was betrayed at the dinner table, he said, This is my body which is shed for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Also the same night, he took the cup saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me and apply the blood to your life so judgment passes over you. Awesome. Thank you, Father. We had no idea that we were headed for judgment. We knew we weren't perfect. But once we began reading and studying about you, now we understand it. And we know now that because we ply, applied the blood of Christ that was shed for us, Judgment will pass over us. Well, what is the judgment? The wages of our sin is eternal death. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And he's the gift of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you have done for us, the pain we put you through for our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. Forgive us. And thank you for our deliverance from eternal death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be in John chapter 12. I'm going to start at the 10th verse. This is the last week of Jesus' life. It's beginning here. We're in the 12th chapter. Do you realize the first 12 chapters of John are about the first three years of his ministry? 
for three and a half years, really. And now we're at the final days. And it takes from chapter 13 to chapter 21 to cover one week or ten days of Jesus' life. That means there's a lot of detail in the Gospel of John as far as what happened. And, of course, you can back it up with other, the other Gospels, Luke and Matthew, that added to it. This day is the day, Palm Sunday, that Jesus is officially proclaimed as the Messiah of Israel. This is the day. This is the day that Daniel chapter 9 talks about so explicitly right down to the point, right down to the nitty-gritty, right down to this day, Good Friday, I mean, uh, Palm Sunday. You know, the first coming of Christ was known. The Jews were looking for him. They were expecting him. Remember when Jesus showed up to be dedicated to the Lord by Mary and Joseph in the temple, Simeon and Anna recognized him right away. They knew he was the Messiah. And Simeon, who told him he wasn't going to die until he saw the Messiah, when he recognized the Messiah there, he said to him, to the Lord, you can take me in peace now, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And Anna comes in and she backs him up with everything that he said. And you know what? You think about it. The Magi knew, and they were from a foreign land. They knew that Messiah was coming. They saw the stars in the east, and they followed after it. And it took them probably years to get there. And then we know that Herod got his ministers, his, his priests, so-called priests, I might say, he asked them when the Messiah was going to come and where he was going to be born, and they said Bethlehem. They knew it. You know what? There's a whole world out here today that just don't know it, that Messiah has already come. He's coming a second time, too. Matthew 24 talks about it. Here's what Jesus says in that, in that passage. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Only He knows it. And the church needs to know if somebody comes and says to you, Jesus is coming back on April 5th of 2036, you can call Him a liar because nobody knows. And by doing something like that, He is actually exalting Himself over Jesus Christ. Because Jesus doesn't know, but this guy knows. He's a liar. Jesus told us this to beware, because there's wolves in sheep's clothing, as he describes in Matthew chapter 7. We've got to be careful. We've got to know these things. Jesus came one time, the first advent, and he is coming again a second time. And that's the second advent. But before the second advent, seven years earlier, we're going to be the Christians, the believers, will be raptured out of here. And that's a whole other subject to, to be studied at another time. And I mention it a lot. Just read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and that will help you out with that. Here's John chapter 10, or chapter 12 and verse 10. 
me pull it up here for us. John chapter 12 and verse 10. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. This is like one of the greatest miracles that Jesus did. And it was just prior to him being crucified, the same week, basically, or within 10 days. They, Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus was dead for four days, as you well know from reading your scriptures. Nobody has ever raised a person dead for four days. Even Jesus, he raised Jairus' uh, daughter not long after she died. He raised the widow of Nain's son probably within hours of his death. But this guy, Lazarus, was dead for four days when Jesus arrived. And actually, from my reading of Scripture, he actually did it on purpose so that everybody would know that he is the resurrection and the life. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but they will have eternal life. And he did this right before because the Mary and Martha and Lazarus were well loved by the, by the priests and the scribes. And when they were there, whenever Jesus showed up, and he raised him after being four days. And you know what Mary said, and I can find my paperwork here. In John chapter 11, Jesus, then Jesus, here I'm going to read the scripture, then Jesus, again groaning in himself when he came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone laid against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Four days dead now, here's what Martha says. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus, notice he's groaning in his spirit. He was he loved Nazareth, uh, Lazarus. He was his good friend. Martha and Mary were their good friends, and he loved them. But I believe God chose this miracle to wake up some of the priests and the scribes. Four days dead, he'd be rotting away. Rigor mortis would have already set in. He'd be stiff, and then he'd loosen up. Water and blood would separate. The body would be discovered, dis discolored, I should say. His eyes would be sunken in. I'm going to tell you, this is, this is a mighty miracle. His eyes would be sunken in, swollen all over, stomach distended. And even his organs would have been melting away, and that would cause the stench. He was completely rotten. This is different than the widow of Nain and Jairus' daughter. Four days dead, and the scribes and the Pharisees are there watching this. And he raises him from the dead. And he says, Lazarus, 
come forth. They rolled the stone away. Everybody did what Jesus told them to do. They rolled the stone away. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was bound in grave clothes came walking out of the grave. He should be, it should, it's, it's impossible from our standpoint. But we know that it is possible because all things are possible with God. The Jews that are there are saying to himself, who, who is this guy? Only God could raise somebody dead after four days. This is a power-packed miracle for the crucifixion that's coming up. The, Sa the Sadducees are silenced because of this, because they didn't even believe in the supernatural or the resurrection. The chief priests are now seeking to kill not only Jesus, but Lazarus too, because, because of this miracle, even the priests were walking away from the, 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 the Jewish Hebrew, the, 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 uh, the Sanhedrin even. Seventy members, 71 with the high priests. At this time, there was two high priests. Annas, who was the rightful Jewish high priest, and Caiaphas, who was the Roman appointed high priest. So we had 72 members. And a lot of those priests believed in Jesus because they saw Jesus raised Lazarus after being dead for four whole days. God did this miracle on purpose to wake up people as to who Jesus is. This is, now we're coming up on one of the most important days in Scripture. The next day. A large crowd had come to the feast, and they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. This is the tenth day of Nisan. Passover lambs would be brought and inspected. Jesus will come to Jerusalem investigating the people. Daniel's prophecy, and you know it, and I've mentioned it many times because I want people to know that this book is accurate, completely accurate. Daniel chapter 9. I want to read the uh, 25th, 26th verse. Know therefore, Daniel's writing about seven, eight hundred years prior to this. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. After sixty-two weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And to the people of the Prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. And until the end of the war of desolations are determined, then he shall confirm a covenant with many in one week. We're talking about the Antichrist there. This, this is, this is uh, the first part of this passage. is from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And this is very important. This is Josh McDowell's book. How many have ever heard of Josh McDowell? One of the greatest 
guys, writers around today. I believe he was a lawyer that got saved because he was going to prove that Christianity was wrong. I'm going to read you just a couple paragraphs in this book. So you can see, because of mankind and how we have developed, we can actually pinpoint time. They can actually come back and pinpoint time. We know that in Babylonian days, there was 360 days in a year. Now, we know because of, um, because of our expertise in studying the stars and, and all that, we, we know that there's 365 and one quarter days in, in, the, in the, our calendar. So you've got to do some, for some finagling here, but you can figure it out. I'm going to read you this by, by um, Josh McDowell. If Daniel is correct, in other words, this prophecy, the time from the edit to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Nisan 14, 444 B.C., to the coming of Messiah to Jerusalem is 380 or 483 years, 69 times 7. Each year equaled the Jewish prophetic year of 360 days or 173,880 days. The terminal event of this 69 weeks is the presentation of Christ himself to Israel as the Messiah, as predicted in Zechariah 9, 9. Let me read it to you. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Sound familiar? Palm Sunday. Harris recorded right in Zechariah 9.9, backed up by, by, uh, by actually figures. Harold Halchner, who has thoroughly researched the prophecy in Daniel and the corresponding dates, calculated the date of the event. Multiplying the, I know you aren't going to get this, but I just want you to know, this has been researched big time. Multiplying the 69 weeks and by seven years for each week by 360 days gives a total of 173,880 days. The difference between 444 B.C. and 33 A.D. then is 476 solar years multiplied by 476 by 365.2429879. I told you you won't do this. But, but, or, where well, I lost my place now, or by 365 days, 5 hours, 43, 48 minutes, and 45.975 seconds, there are 365 and a quarter days in a year. One comes to... 773, 173,855 days, 6 hours, 52 minutes, 44 seconds, or 173,880 days. This leaves only 25 days to be accounted for before, between 444 B.C., which was the day the edit was signed, 
okay, and the 33 A.D., by adding 25 days to March 5th, 444 B.C., one comes to March 30th for A.D. 33, which is Nisan 10 in A.D. 33. This is the entry of Messiah into Jerusalem. All that to tell you Messiah came on the exact day he was supposed to. You know, Jesus had a time commitment on earth. He, was, he had things to do. He knew what they were. And that chart in this book, there's a chart on page 201, will show you all, give you exact dates, because it can be figured out today. March 4th, 444 B.C. is documented in history as the day of being signed, the edit. And if you count off those 773, 880 days, you end up in Jerusalem right now. This is the official day when Jesus is proclaimed Messiah of Israel, and the Hebrews, the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, they did not like it. In a few minutes, he's going to walk through the temple and overthrow everything. And they even hurt more now. He's hitting them in their pocketbooks, not just raising people from the dead. They can try to talk people out of that. But hit them in the pocketbooks, oh boy, Jesus is in trouble. The point is, there's no one else in history that could fulfill all this. Jesus is Messiah. So if we're worried about dying, if we're worried about is this true, you know, your, your questions should be settled without a doubt. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Not only that, that's just one prophecy fulfilled. Deuteronomy 18, now you heard me say it, when Moses was, was going to leave and be taken by the Lord, he said this, the Lord will raise up another prophet with a capital P to take my place. You better listen to him. So now we go back to Acts 3 and verse 23, and here we see the disciples saying that, that Moses told us that a prophet was going to come, and if you do not obey him, you will lose your soul. And people say, well, it's narrow. You can't get to heaven. It's too narrow. You're narrow-minded. It's narrow-minded. It's narrow. The way to heaven is narrow. It comes through one man, not what you did for the church, not where you're going, not what you have in the bank. It's about him and him alone. And that's the truth. Daniel 9, in verse 24, I, didn't, I read it real fast, but I want you to see in Daniel 9, 24 through 26, it says here that Messiah will be cut off. That means dead. And that comes out also at, at, at what we call Easter Sunday. Here's what Messiah will do be, be, as he is being cut off. According to Daniel, he's going to finish transgressions. And if you confess your sins, he's going to faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Number two, he'll make an end of sin. Hebrews 9.26 says this, He has appeared once for all at, at the end of the ages to put away sin 
by the sacrifice of his blood. He put away sin. He made an end to sin for all that believe. Because if you have sin in you, you won't make the kingdom of heaven. But when you apply the blood, your spirit comes to life. And the sin is gone. And your spirit is absolutely 100% pure. The soul fights against the spirit, and that's where we get the problems. Number three is the reason why Jesus came. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Make intercession for iniquity. I'm going to read that to you in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Now all things are of God, who, is rec who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us the word of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. This, is, this was written, I think it's 800 years prior to, to Messiah. And we see it recorded in New Testament. Point number four, he will bring about everlasting righteousness. If you just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Everlasting righteousness. Not you might be saved. You will be saved because he brings everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up the vision and the prophecy. Listen, Daniel's prophecy has fulfilled has sealed it up. It's done. It's done. Now you see it. We have the fortunate of looking back to see that it has already been done. He sealed up the vision. This is the prophecy that points to only one possible man, and that is Jesus Christ, of course. And number six, to anoint the most holy. To, in other words, to point out the Messiah, to point him out to the Sadducees, and the, that he is the leading candidate to be called Messiah, to be Messiah. So here we go, and we're back in John chapter 12. A great multitude that had come to the feast. So here it is, the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's normal population is about half a million, okay? At Passover... The Jews were required to attend three feasts in Jerusalem, one of three feasts. And at Passover was the main one. And the population swelled up to two or three million from a, five, from a half a million. There are people all over the place. And Jesus is being proclaimed Messiah. God has picked the time to reveal his son. You ever notice that Jesus would say, don't tell anybody that I healed you. Because there was a time that he would be publicly recognized as Messiah. And as we look back, there was only a few that knew. He told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said, she said, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us these things. And she, he said, I who speak to you am he. And she believed it. But he told her that because it was necessary to go into Samaria and win souls. That was what Jesus was all about. It's not about money. 
It's not about possessions. It's not about your business. It's about souls. And this Holy Week, up until Easter, people that don't go to church will go to church. And I prayed last week that God would remove preachers out of the pulpit that week. So I put men in the pulpit that are preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You aren't saved by your denomination. You aren't saved by what you do for the church. You aren't saved by how much money you give. You're saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Here's the public declaration in the second part of verse 12 of John 12. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palms and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. We got palms all over the church. Sally and Grace made sure that we were all palmed up. I'll tell you what, palms, palms are important. Here it is, the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem, the people are crying out with palm branches in their hand. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Fulfilling Psalm 118, verse 22 through 27. Let me read it. Messianic Psalm is about Jesus' first coming. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You can't build a building without being perfectly square at the beginning. And Jesus is the cornerstone of all faiths. It's not the pastor. It's not the priest. It's not the bishop. It doesn't matter the elders or the deacons. It's Jesus. He's the cornerstone. And the foundation is being set. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. The day of His coming is the day that we should rejoice and be glad in it. And we should be glad, in this side, the New Testament, we should be rejoiced and be glad every day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Jesus coming into the city. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. And he has given us light. In other words, the crowd, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, are crying out, Messiah, Messiah. The chief priests and the Jews are ticked off, man. They'll pay any amount to anybody that wants to betray Jesus. They need him out of the way. He not only showed a miracle that made a buku people, bunches of people come to know Jesus by raising Lazarus, and now the people are crying out, Hosanna. And the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Riding on the donkey that Zechariah 9.9 tells us. You know, we talked about this at a men's study yesterday at the church. Do you know, you just don't hop on a donkey and drive, ride him. He's like a horse. you got to break him in. But not this donkey. A colt, a firstborn donkey, nobody ever rode on him. But when Jesus got on him, that thing didn't buck one bit. You know, because the ox knows its master. That's written in what's Isaiah 1.3. The ox knows its master. 
this donkey knew who was riding on him. What an honor for a donkey. <laughs> you thought the Tonkin donkey and Balaam was cool. Wait, this donkey gets to take Messiah into Jerusalem. A day proclaimed and only this day to be fulfilled. This is all going to change. Everybody's crying up, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowd's calling him Messiah, probably millions. This was going to change in one week. Boy, the demonic forces are working all over the place in this week. They see the anointing of Jesus. They know who Jesus is. They've been trying to get rid of him for centuries. And here, he's going to make the best of it. He's going to make sure Jesus dies. And he thinks it's going to be all over and he's going to be king. But he forgets. The scriptures say without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. But Jesus never sinned. So he had, no, he had power over death. And just a note on the side, that same power to raise Jesus from the dead lives in you. Don't ask for a double portion of Isaiah's, Isaiah or, uh, Elisha's uh, blessing. You have more than uh, Elijah ever did by having the Holy Spirit possessing you. Palm trees. Why the palms? Well, palm trees are symbols of victory in the scriptures. Here's, let me read Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked, this is John talking, and behold, a great multitude which had no one, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm breeches, palm branches in their hands. It's a victory march up there in the kingdom of heaven. It's a victory right here the, that, that those palm branches are being waved for Messiah. This is a victorious time. They're waving Jehovah Nisi, a victory banner. Palm Palm branches declare Messiah who brings us victory. That's what these palm branches bring. I don't know if you know it, but when I was a kid, I belonged to a, a denomination, and they used to pass out palm branches. And my mother used to stick them between the mattress, behind the pictures, on the wall. You know what? The palm branches, the palm branches are, are something you should look at and, and think of victory. Think of Jesus, not, not a a branch ain't going to protect you from nothing. But the king, who was recognized by waving palm branches because it's victorious, they are standing there praising God in heaven with palm branches in their hand, waving them like this. It's like the, the yellow towel of the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> the problem is, though he was an earthly deliverer, you know, not a spiritual deliverer. They thought he was an earthly deliverer. They were going to deliver him from Rome. You know, you heard this before. You heard it from me. You hear it on the radios. They thought that Jesus was going to deliver them from Rome because they've been under bondage before that by, 
by Greece. And then before that, I believe it was Medo-Persia. And before that, it was Persia. And before that, it was somebody else, Babylon. It was all, they were always in slavery. And they had, they had the nerve to say, we've never been in bond. We've never been slaves. They've been slaves for centuries. They just don't know it. They're, they're lying. They're full of lies. They want him to free them from Rome and the tyranny thereof. But they have a shallow belief because Messiah didn't come to conquer armies. He came to conquer sin for you and me so we could make it into heaven. They have a shallow belief. Five days later, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And a mighty miracle was just done. And raising Lazarus. You know, if a miracle was done that was notable right here in this church this morning, do you know every seat in this place would be filled next week? And we'd have to get the chairs out of the back room here and put them up along the sides and everything because a noteworthy miracle had happened. But you know what? God don't want you to come for what you can get out of Him. He wants you to come to Him because of who He is. He's God. You come to God because you want to get something? Unfortunately, that's the way people think, especially those that are in the flesh. If I were, if I seen it happen in another church, I might go. But I don't think I'd be going for what I could get. I think I'd be going because of who he is. If people just don't give Jesus the, even the church, don't give him the, the respect that he's due, the honor he's due. We, we think more of the, the, the talented musicians up on the stage and how good I feel when I sing at it. We sang beautiful songs today. I loved them. I loved them, especially that one, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold Me Down. But it's not because of you. It's because of him. Zechariah was very specific, and it's recorded here in the 14th verse of John 12. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, without the thing bucking. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, sitting on a donkey's colt. So Zechariah, hundreds of years prior, is pointing out the day of Messiah and what he's going to be doing when he comes. And we know the second coming He's going to be not riding on a donkey anymore. And you heard this from me. You know what? I used to get upset that I would repeat myself teaching, but I teach a lot over the years, you know. Sometimes I was teaching at the other church three times a week. So here I was teaching for years, two times a week. You know, sometimes I don't know what I say, but I know God wants to drive these things home. Jesus comes as a as a as a servant riding on a donkey, but when he comes back, the second coming, he's riding on the white stallion. 
And a white stallion means he's covered for war. When a king rides through a city, you heard me say it a hundred times, when a king rides through his city on a donkey, it is a time of peace. If he's riding through a city on a stallion, it's, he's ready for battle. And here we know the first coming, Jesus came wrapped in swaddling clothes. First coming, he was surrounded by sheep and cattle and common people. The first coming, the door to the inn was closed to him. At the first coming, he cried with the voice of a baby. And the first coming, he came as a lamb to bring salvation to men. But when he comes in the second time, Jesus is going to be, be clothed with a robe dipped in blood. This is the one the Jews were looking for. Dipped in blood, get rid of Rome. The second coming, Jesus is going to be accompanied by a massive army from heaven. That was predicted even by Enoch, the seventh from Adam. He said the Lord's going to come with myriads of his saints. The seventh from Adam is saying this. This book is full of prophecies that point to only one man. The second coming. Heaven's doors are going to be open, not the hidden closed. I love Isaiah 64, 1. Oh, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, I can't wait for that day when he rends the heaven and he's riding on that white stallion and the clouds reveal him. Oh, I long for that day. Hey, Isaiah had it fixed. He was longing for a day way back then, 750 years prior. Oh, that you would rend. Rend means tear open the heavens and come down. And that's going to happen at the second coming. And everybody's going to see him. The second coming, Jesus' voice is going to thunder. It's not going to be a meek, lowly carpenter's son. At the second coming, Jesus will come as the lion of the tribe of Judah instead of the lamb that was slaughtered. This is the King of Kings. And even when we even when we think of him, we need to remind ourselves as to who he is. Chapter verse 16 of John 12. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, that, had, that they had done these things to him. The prophecy. John and the disciples didn't understand until after the fact. They had no idea what Jesus was doing at the Last Supper. Not until after the fact. After Jesus was dead and buried and rose again the third day. And he appeared to them that resurrection evening in the room with Thomas absent. The reason why they didn't understand is because the Holy Spirit wasn't given yet. We see that happens in John chapter 16 on Resurrection Sunday evening in that room without Thomas there. Then they understood. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus breathed on them and they were filled with the Spirit. I believe at that point they were born again. 
the Holy Spirit breathed on them. That's what happened to you and me. And they had the courage to say yes. But Thomas kind of doubted for a whole week, eight days actually. He doubted until he saw Jesus face to face. Blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes. That's what the scripture says. So if people call you some kind of stupid name because you believe, know that you're blessed. Let's put it that way. We understand more today because of the Holy Spirit's in our life. I remember the day the Holy Spirit fell on me. I could feel him. I remember several times over my Christianity of 45 years, several times when he came upon me and just, I knew, I knew what I knew that I knew, and I knew it was him. He lives in me, but sometimes he comes on and empowers you or gives you situations or gives you things that you don't normally know. We understand it because we have the Holy Spirit now in our lives. Because Jesus said, my words are not carnal, they're spiritual. So you need the Spirit to discern the spiritual words. So here we are. The Holy Spirit's work is necessary for our spiritual enablement. And every phase of teaching like now, you know what? I'm not an eloquent speaker. I don't want to be an eloquent speaker. I do know one thing. When the word goes off of this pulpit, it's taking down strongholds in your lives or giving you encouragement and lifting you up. Verse 17, Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They are... They, they, everybody's following Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. Millions of people. They're going to lose their income. They're in trouble. They want to get rid of him. Look at the whole world has gone after him. Oh, how I pray that would be true. That the people that believe in Buddha and Muhammad and Allah and, and who else, you know, Perry Krishna or whoever else is out there, you know what, oh, how I wish they would believe and pray that they would believe and follow and go after Jesus. But instead they're like that they're like a horse. When the Lord hops on their back and shows them who they are, they buck them off. They don't want him. Thankfully you and I haven't done that. They want Jesus dead in a few days. Their premeditated thoughts are going to be carried out. And they're going to have Rome do the dirty work. Rome. Who's guilty anyway of killing Jesus? Huh? Was it Rome? Was it the Jews? Was it the Greeks? Was it the Greeks? No. It's you. Me. Everybody on the face of the earth killed Jesus because we're sinners and fall short of the glory of God. 
And we know that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He's going to forgive our sins. We know that if we repent, He will bring back, he, we will be converted according to Acts 3.19. We know that godly sorrow works repentance, and repentance leads to salvation. Not being sorry, godly sorrow. Sorrow isn't going to get you to heaven. Repentance is going to get you to heaven. You know what? I brought this in. I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to end here. This is uh, the words of a, of a songwriter. I won't tell you his name. Um, but will you, uh, Bill, will you pass these out? Theron's way in the back. <laughs> if you want. Bill's right here, Theron. You pass that out. I'm going to read the words. I came across that picture one time, uh, surfing the Internet to find all kind of stuff out. For Jesus, I mean, uh, but I only get on the internet for for Christian stuff, and that's it. Unless uh, I have to, you know, I'm, unless I'm looking for something or have to sign into something. But anyway, this is called this is called the hammer. And what it is, it's a, it's the words of a, a lyrics of a song, and you can see on the picture there that that there's a there's a man with a hammer in his hand, in his right hand, and on his left hand he has a, a nail. And he's at the foot of the cross, and there's a nail driven in Jesus' feet. And here's what he wrote in this song, and it's a powerful song. I don't hear it anymore. We're going back 25 years probably, maybe even better. It's called The Hammer, and here's the lyrics. I was in the crowd that day when Jesus died. And as he hung upon the cross, his mother cried. I saw the crown of thorns he wore, the stripes upon his back. The water in the blood ran out, and then the sky turned black. My mind was filled with anger. My heart was filled with shame. This man brought only healing. Who could bring him such pain? Why does it seem the strong always victimize the weak? And suddenly I found myself standing to my feet. And I cried, who nailed him there? This child of peace and mercy, who nailed him there? Come and face me like a man. Who nailed him there? And the crowd began to mock me. I cried, oh my God, I just don't understand. Then I turned and saw the hammer in my hand. I am just a Roman soldier, an ordinary man. I love my wife and children. I do the best I can. How could I have killed him? There must be someone else. There's got to be an answer. I just can't blame myself. Who nailed him there? This child of peace and mercy. Who nailed him there? Come and face me like a man. Who nailed him there? And the crowd began to mock me. I cried, oh my God. I must die. I don't understand. Then I turned and saw the hammer in my hand. I nailed him there, the child of peace and mercy. I nailed him there. I'm the guilty man. I nailed him there with my sins and my transgressions. Oh, I cried, oh my God, now I understand when I turned and saw the hammer in my hand. Powerful, huh? We crucified him. You didn't even know any better. I go to God 
I think this week, I said, God, I just didn't know any better when I was a little boy. I didn't know any better when I was a teenager. I didn't know any better until you spoke to me. Now you spoke to me, and now I understand. I killed Jesus with my sins, my transgressions, my iniquities. And I'm sorry, Lord, and I repent of it. And because I repented, not with, with just sorrow, but repentance that leads to salvation. And you and I have done that. We're saved. We're going to heaven. When Easter Sunday comes, throw up your hands in the air and glorify the Lord. But don't still wait till Sunday. Do it now. Because we were lost and now we're fine. We were dead and now we're alive. We were headed for the kingdom of Satan and now we're headed to the kingdom of God. For those of you out over the internet that have just heard this message, you need to, if you have not, you need to be godly sorrowful for your sin and repent. And repent means turn around and go in the other direction. So if you're headed in the way of the world, turn around and go to God's way. You might bump into a few enemies along the way. But you know what? The same power to raise Jesus from the dead lives in you because you repented and received him as your Savior. And do it now. Don't wait and say later on because you just said no. Do it now. And let us know. Go to my website, joe at freedomchurchpb.org, and send me a note so we can rejoice with the angels in heaven. Joe at freedomchurchpb.org, so that we will rejoice in your salvation. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the prophecy leading up to our Savior Jesus, for confirming in our minds and in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Lord, today, let us go with expectant hearts and in the power of your Holy Spirit to see you and share you with other people. And to you be the glory for it all, Father. In Jesus' holy name we pray. God Amen. Amen. God bless you all, and thank you. I love you all. Come back next week. It's Easter. <laughs>